instead of front loading tons of weight lifting and remediation and you know no no fun for you kids uh, you'll get the good stuff in october or november instead of doing that i start immediately day one here's the good stuff right here let's drive right into this lesson let's re- drive right into algebra and yeah yeah there's things that you were weak on we'll pick those up as we go Well, hello, and welcome back to the Get More Math podcast. This is a one-off show. We just thought it might be a good idea to have a conversation about what are we looking at for this fall? So many things are kind of in transition. There's been a lot of tumult over the last year, year and a half. So what can we expect this fall in math classes? And maybe even talk about some ideas for like best practices for succeeding this fall. This is a sort of a brainstorming uh, conversation. And to have that conversation, I've brought in my friend, Jennifer Axtens. She's with customer support at Get More Math. And she's actually going to be the interviewer and I will be the interviewee. And as she asks questions and we kind of think about the, the, the state of things as they are and maybe as they could be, some ideas for how we could push ahead in a way that supports kids and empowers teachers and brings us to a better place. So uh, I've got a, a few thoughts I'm eager to share. And um, Jennifer, I guess I'd, I'll turn it over to you. Good, good morning. Good to see you. Good. It's good morning. Good to see you. I am excited to be here and ask a couple of questions. What about learning loss? Can you say that learning is really lost, Josh, with all of this? So coming right out of the gate, uh, you use what is rapidly becoming sort of a pejorative uh, from everything I read and actually how the term strikes me personally too. There's something about that phrase, learning loss, that uh, really kind of rubs most of us educators, I think, the wrong way. It it sort of sets the term, I think, of the conversation in in a negative light immediately. And granted, we have a difficult situation. Um, Granted, there's a lot to think about and things to overcome. But just to go straight to let's talk about all the loss. It it feels wrong, especially when people are vulnerable, uh, people are um, struggling, and and some people have really been hurt and and deeply impacted by the last year of tumultuous times. So I want to say a little bit more, I think, that the best I understand that phrase in my past, Jennifer, that phrase was always used for um, sort of learning that got lost. Like kids had made some gains, but then they lost them, right? So traditionally, that's the meaning of the word. We come in in the fall and we think, how can we deal with the fact that kids will have already forgotten some of the stuff from the spring? You've you've probably heard it called slide, the summer slide, right? What can we do maybe over the summer so that that doesn't happen? And it's interesting to me to note that the phrase learning lost has suddenly started meaning something else. It started meaning learning that never happened, as well as slide. So when people talk about learning loss right now, they're saying things that never got learned, which bothers me because how could you lose something you never learned in the first place? In a way, the phrase can put the onus on the student like they lost the stuff they learned. Like, shame on them, sort of. So I don't know. It, it's funny, but that yes. phrase is bothering me. And also, I want to I want to call out that weird shift that, 
like everybody's using the same words to now mean more and different. And, um, well, I, I don't, I think it's important to call that out because otherwise you could end up thinking you were having a conversation about one thing, but actually being talking about something completely different. Yeah. So there's my diatribe on learning loss. But I'm in, I am complete agreement with you, Josh, that how have you lost something that you didn't have? Do you think there's a better term than learning loss? Do you, that's not as upsetting, I think. I, I feel um, so that teachers aren't feeling discouraged. Yeah, I am waiting for that pithy phrase. Uh, you know, I've been kind of playing with words a little bit. Um, I, I, I don't have a phrase to be fair. Uh, learning recovery, I've heard, which is, uh, I think, better. And I haven't figured out a little uh, string of words that capture it all. How about you? I haven't come up with a, the word that captures what I feel is where we need to go. Now, why is it I keep reading in all this research, especially in a McKinsey report, I've read how that students, this greater, the loss seems greater in mathematics or the slide or what students are, have gaps in knowledge. It appears to be greater in mathematics. Why is that? That's a good question. Um, I, I'm kind of in the realm of speculation on that. I think math skills are less likely to sort of tumble into regular life, especially, uh, you know, the, the higher the grade level goes, you're not going to uh, move forward with understanding of rate of change uh, without some teacher kind of helping you to discover those things and think them through. Uh, perhaps, this is just perhaps, but perhaps something like a, that has more to do with a reading skill um, is something self-propelled students can continue to do well in. Um, Possibly parents are more equipped to help kids along the journey when it comes to reading versus math. So there's two things, uh, but I, I'm hesitant to be very definitive there because it's it's really a lot of speculation on my part. How about you? Do you, do you have theories? I, if I, there is some gap in my knowledge, it's hard to build upon a gap. If I the next skill and I don't have that precursory skill for it, so I think that plays into that effect as well. So just that our kids have been out of school and have missed those things, I think sometimes plays into that. I also think with remote learning, I think students have struggled with remote learning and that that's been difficult. Um, do you have thoughts on why remote learning may be harder for kids? Well, if you're comparing remote learning with, you still mean with like math over against, say, reading and writing? Yes, sir. Or do you mean just in general? Just in general, I think remote learning has been difficult, but I think yeah, well, our math is slow. I, I have always deeply, like I'm going to say believed, but also experienced, but the, the best educational experience is in person. And um, I don't, it's funny, I, this is, these, these are maybe fighting words, but I don't feel the need to wait several years till the research on the last year comes out to say, hey, guess what? Like it was better when we were in person and worse when we weren't. All, all my experience, all my common sense, everything I am as a teacher tells me that having people together and having dialogue, uh, solving problems together, troubleshooting, you know, 
all that good, rich stuff that happens when you're in a room with a bunch of other people is the best way for students to learn. And having that in a day after day after day fashion is, is powerful. And perhaps the most important aspect of that is simply the relationships, which are so much harder to believe, to, to build remotely. Um, how do you build a relationship with a student who never comes to class, uh, you know, your Zoom session, or only works asynchronously? So you get work turned in every week. Who is this student and what motivates them and how can you connect with them? If, if you don't have the person with you regularly, you can't build that relationship. I'd not Well, okay, I, I want to avoid absolutes because people have done amazing things with the situation they found themselves in. Just... Just it'll blow your mind to, you know, I read Twitter about what people are trying and I'm just it's amazing and impressive. Uh, but and, and actually some kids have really um, found this scenario to be a time to thrive. So I'm speaking in generalities, not in absolutes and all times for every kid and every teacher. But generally speaking, uh, it's just it's just better to be together. Kids are more likely to do better. In almost, in almost all research that I have read, live instruction is what makes the difference for student growth. And it's been my experience, and obviously your experience as well, that those relationships and that helps to build that with those students. Um, the, the coming up year, this following year, how, what are we going to do if we have learning loss, things that kids have missed? How are we going to cover that ground for the beginning of next year? What do you think is going to happen there? I'm going to change your question, rudely change okay. your question. You go right ahead. Here's, here's my, my beginnings. What not to do or something like that. My primary piece of advice to, especially to administrators, is they're thinking about, gosh, got all these kids coming back, all these teachers coming back in the fall. They've had, by this fall, a year and a half of ups and downs and ins and outs. We're trying to get some stability, kind of reboot, relaunch. Um, my first and fundamental piece of advice is don't make things worse. Um, that, that's, that's, I keep coming back to that. I think. Don't frustrate them right off the bat. Yeah. So, so when I say that, it's really, it's meant to encapsulate uh, several possibilities. I think the primary one is the one where it's like uh, sort of a, the house is on fire mentality. Horrible things have happened. We all need to like double down, work harder, drive harder, um, like this is a disaster and what are we going to do about it? Like ramp up the tensions and, uh, and, and actually that might feel like you're, you're, you know, you know, you're targeting things, you're trying to make a difference, you're trying to save the day. But I think that is, is actually not super pragmatic that the, uh, the outcome might just be frustrated teachers frustrated students. I heard a phrase on Twitter the other day for the first time that I thought, ooh, that hurts. Somebody said, hey, you're worried about learning loss? You should be worried about educator loss. So they're pointing out that teachers are going to, at some point for their own sanity and, and, and well-being, have to say, I, I can't continue. And so if we sort of turn the screws on teachers and say, we need the students as they're coming back to sort of master everything they ever missed, whether it was learning that they lost or learning that they never had a chance to learn in the first place. 
But all that stuff, that year and a half of content, get that in their heads. Oh, by the way, at the end of this year, you're going to have a grade level standardized test and they, those kids better do better than the previous years. I like that, that, that weight, that impossible weight is uh, likely to, to break people. Um, and certainly not likely to, um, you know, just to encourage lead to strong gains, encouraged kids, powerful teaching, all the things we know that matter and that work. Um, let's just go back to that relational thing. How, how, strong is the relationship between teachers and students going to be if day one, the message is something like this. Hey, students, welcome back. It is so good to be in person again. We love you. This is going to be a great year. I can't wait to get started. First thing we're going to do is take this day and a half diagnostic 80 problem test. Oh, and then after that, we're going to spend the next, uh, you know, four, six, eight weeks in a uh, tight cycle of of individualized review of everything you ever were supposed to know, but don't, or that we think you don't know. Um, and then once we hammer all that into your heads, uh, the next real big fun is we're going to have just 70 or 80% of our year remaining to cover a full year worth of grade level content um, at like top, top speed, super condensed. And then we're going to have a huge test on that. It's going to be wonderful. I'm so glad we're in person and we can have that, that experience together. I don't know. I, I'm being sarcastic. And I told you before the podcast, I want to be warm and encouraging. But I, like I said, go back to my advice. Don't make things worse. That sounds worse to me. It does. It sounds like that's a heavy weight. Let's start the beginning with a weight on our shoulders. That's what you've described. Do you have a better solution? Well, so I first of all, I fear that people will be looking for like a, a, a perfect solution. Like do this and everything you could ever wish for will be just so. And so I, I fall back on pragmatism. I want to start by saying what's possible? What can we achieve that's supportive, that's rich, that positions students as learners, understands their limitations, understands what, what can happen? So yes, I have a prescription, but I want to say at the outset, it's not a... Uh, just take this medicine and all your ailments will be gone. Um, but so speaking from my own experience, uh, I taught ninth grade often to students who had done poorly in seventh grade, eighth grade, maybe sixth grade. So they came to high school in, in a sense, they had the situation that we're talking about in this larger, more exacerbated fashion. Now uh, they were behind the things that they had learned They'd only kind of half learned them. And by, by the time I had them, they, they'd mostly forgotten them. So here I was, it's day one, and I need to teach them algebra. And I, I think what you're asking is, what did you do? How, how do you handle that? Like, they, how can they learn yes. algebra if they don't know the coordinate plane and they can't uh, add fractions and they, don't, they can't handle negatives well? Like, these are all parts of algebra that will be a constant hindrance if the kids don't have those in place. So I'll tell you what I did, and uh, it, it worked fairly well for me. I, I hope it could be helpful to others. My approach was to day one, within the first couple of minutes, already be uh, pursuing grade level content. So my first day of algebra, the first lesson, uh, first, I mean, the bell would ring and I'd say, all right, let's start. 
and wouldn't go over class rules, policies, procedures, or anything else, we would drive straight to what I call the big question in algebra. And for all those algebra teachers out there, uh, I put it this way, as one number increases, what happens to the other one? And so we played with some examples and the kids were getting into discussions and they'd have to write something, but it was all about this new idea phrased in a fresh way. Nothing about last year or the year before um, in terms of skills. Of course, then day two and day three, day four, day five, as we merrily pursued the chase of the big idea of algebra, we would run into lessons that like, how can you graph if you're not fluent with a coordinate plane? let's say, for example, or how can you solve for, uh, let's say, for input when you know the output if you can't solve a two-step equation and so on. There's all these precursor skills that they have to be in place or you really can't push well into the new ideas. So uh, as the year progressed, um, I would sort of tactically, in a sort of a just-in-time fashion, weave in precursor skills in tight little reviews. Um, I'd do a little formative assessment to see what kids knew, what they didn't, just on like some tightly defined little bundle of precursor skills. I, maybe I would do a lesson on those if, if we had a general weakness, or uh, maybe I would address individuals, or maybe I would give an assignment to some kids and ex some extra work, some extra help. But always knowing what was on the horizon for the next main, main kind of excursion for algebra, and always knowing, gosh, what do they need to have in place, I would weave in those precursor skills across the year. So instead of front-loading several months of remediation, tons of fun, right? Or actually mm. you know, being sarcastic again, bad Josh, bad Josh. Um, instead of front-loading tons of weight lifting and remediation and, you know, no, no fun for you kids. Uh, you'll get the good stuff in October or November. Instead of doing that, I start immediately day one, here's the good stuff right here. Let's drive right into this lesson. Let's drive right into algebra. And yeah, yeah, there's things that you were weak on. We'll pick those up as we go. You know, I always found in working with my own students a similar thing. They were more willing to work on those skills that they didn't have when they realized they were going to need them for that Absolutely. next big excursion. They, mm -hmm. they were more motivated to develop those skills. That's what I had That's found. That's right. No, absolutely. And then, uh, you know, our big thing that we always talk about is long-term retention. So they're more likely to retain them too. So they're thinking, you know, I would always market the mini review of prior content, like those little sidebars kind of. I would always market like two days from now, we'll be, we'll be doing this thing. And it, before we can do this thing, you need this thing. And, and it, it did. It connected for them the, the two pieces instead of having, again, those several months of like just glut of stuff that feels more math, more the cycle of meaninglessness, you know, like the infinite repetition of old stuff that I never really got in the first place. Um, but anyway, it, that connection between the precursor skill and the new content, I think, actually strengthen long-term retention of the precursor skills. If you dump it all into their heads over a couple of months without connecting it to uh, sort of the main idea of this course, then by the time you get to the main ideas of the course, you're already on the back foot. They've already started to lose all the stuff that you dumped in their heads in the first couple of months. Right. 
I, I, I think that's I think that's a typical situation if you had done that. But I, I know that kids would be motivated. My kids were motivated uh, by knowing that those things were working. Now, how can Get More Math specifically help students not only with, as teachers, we can go in and we can introduce those new concepts. I've read all this research recently, uh, things out of NCTM. I've read stuff out of TNTP that say that live instruction and on grade level is exactly where we need to go and filling in just in time. How does Get More Math specifically address that? I'd love to talk about that. I, it's on my mind to say one or two more things about your prior question. It, they just kind of jumped into my head, if you don't mind. Kind of dialing back real quickly, I, I do feel like it's worth noting a couple of sort of caveats. One is, I think for a brand new teacher, the, the approach that I just discussed, I want to say it's important, but it's also extra difficult. Because until you've taught a course through one time, it's really hard to get a sense of where the stumbling points are on precursor skills. What should you be sort of assessing early, maybe addressing? Um, so I just want to acknowledge the difficulty there. Lean on your friends, talk to other people, and just make some best guesses. Teaching is, is one big rolling experiment, I think, at least the way I do it. Uh, so that's one thing I wanted to mention. Another thing I wanted to mention is a lot of the time I was able to I didn't even have to do like a precursor assessment. I didn't have to say, do they or do they not have facility with the coordinate plane? Instead, I could just say, I know from experience, half the kids coming from middle school were weak on this. We're just going to hammer this uh, for you know half an hour, an hour. Uh, I use Get More Math heavily for that sort of thing. Quick review with the group, hit Get More Math, make sure it's in place, and then leave that in mixed review for a long time until I was quite sure that everybody uh, was, was bored silly with coordinate play. And also, we were already by then doing lots of grade level stuff that relied on the coordinate play. I guess I'm starting to answer your most recent question. So uh, uses for Get More Math in, in this sort of like uh, complicated fall, I would say it's actually in some ways just more of the same. What we specialize in is sort of in a way preventing loss of learning to to <laughs> to the learning loss raise I don't know if it's any any more um, palatable but you know kids make gains you help them to really learn stuff make connections move ahead and then they start to lose them those things erode so whether you you're required by your district to do the massive front-loaded diagnostics and remediation at the beginning of the year or you've been able to sort of tactically mix in precursor skills as you go. Either way, you're still liable to see kids start to lose those remedial remediation gains um, fairly rapidly. And what Get More Math does brilliantly is provides mixed review on a regular basis so that as, as you make gains you care about and your kids make those gains, the program keeps cycling them back in an individualized way over the content that they need to retain, not just get it for a day and then lose it, but get it for a day, start to lose it, but then see it again and get it for a couple of days, but then start to lose it and then see it again. And over time, it really, it sinks in. I think that makes all the difference is kids continually practicing and, and going through that. I think that makes all kinds of difference. I also think if you have gone back, just like you said, and the kids are 
continuing to practice that, that's a big boost for kids and their self-esteem as well. Oh, yes. That's huge. I'm, I'm glad you said it. Student success has, has got to be like a fundamental plank of whatever you try to build for this fall. Um, you know, is it about student success or is it about student failure? I think in some ways, like, are you thinking there's all these student failures, let's fix them. Or is it, let's, let's, let's win them with early success. Let's build more success. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, it's all in how we look at it, but I also think that's encouraging to teachers and you started off with saying, it's defeating to teachers to hear kids have lost all these things and we have so many things. I think it's encouraging student success is also encouraging to teachers and having those situations, we can contrive those situations for students to be successful. I think that's a, that's a way to help kids show growth. Um, I, I like the way that Get More Math has students see their own growth with their screens, how teachers can see that. Could you address that and how Get More Math shows growth for students? I think my, my favorite uh, my favorite way, my favorite very simple way for a student or parents to, to know that it, a student's making gains and keeping them, that's, that's the main thing, right? Not just making the gains, but retaining them, is just to have a student log in and switch the screen to mixed review so that you see a snapshot of every colored square being one skill or concept from this teacher's decisions of these are the things that matter. Maybe it's remedial content from prior uh, classes. Maybe you know it's this year's content, but all mixed together, you'll see 10, 20, 50, 60, 70, 80 colored squares. And if you're seeing um, lots of green, maybe some yellow, a little bit of red, lots of black, especially, but even just green, it means that the student understands the math that she needs to understand. And that's a powerful, instant way. It's not a big table. There's not a bunch of big numbers. Just look at the color. And if you see this sweep of green and black, you're good. Now, if you see a sweep of red, it actually means there's a lot of work to do. So that's, you could see that too, but how can you, how can you get that? Like, oh, things are going well. It's because the mixed review can show you. And I think it's encouraging when students see it. I think it, when parents see it, teachers, of course, see it as well. And I think that's also encouraging. Side note, most excited I've ever seen a student in a classroom. He had green, he had the black with silver and gold. And he said, I'd like for you to take a picture of my screen. And I said, your screen looks a lot like other people's screens in the room. He said, no, no, no. I had a gold star before anybody else in this room. And this student was truly excited about learning. And what I learned afterwards, Josh, is that this student was a behavioral student and had had great difficulties in mathematics until this school year when he started using Get More Math and felt so empowered by the fact That's that wonderful. he knew what he knew. It was so exciting to see. That was, that was one of my favorite moments. Another thing I was going to say that Get More Math does is that Get More Math has students correct mistakes and kids have to learn from those mistakes. How does that process help students? How is that important that kids are having to correct those mistakes? Oh, there's so much to that, Jen. Um, I start with saying it make making mistakes is a normal thing mm -hmm. and um, nobody should ever feel bad about that. So I make mistakes all the time, uh, mathematical mistakes, 
even though I, I wrote Git more math. So our, our philosophy is that we want the, our program, our system to, to support and demonstrate growth and gains. So a, mis a mistake isn't a horrible thing, it's normal, um, but we do require students to fix it because we want students to learn that um, they do need to understand how to work their way through an idea and get an answer right. And once they fix their mistake, we give a new similar problem to try again to get one right on the first try. Uh, what that eventually means is all data for gains is more legitimate. We're not saying this student has put in lots of effort and has fixed lots of errors, which is a good thing. But what we're saying ultimately is we want a student to be able to show that she can actually get a problem right without making an error, which is a great thing. So um, the idea is to, to um, kind of set the bar medium high in terms of accountability and in terms of uh, metrics that show growth. But I also want to talk about the psychology when kids get to that point and it takes work but now now you're 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 fomenting the legitimate struggle right they're not just kind of putting in an effort and doing a worksheet they actually have to understand the math and so you force that and that's uncomfortable but when they do then get there they love it they're like oh i know how to do this oh i get this and it becomes this wonderful uh sort of building momentum of success upon success. So next time they hit a skill where at first they're getting it wrong and having to fix it, they know how it rolls. Eventually, they're going to try hard enough, talk to other people, work things out, and start getting those right consistently. And the next one, and the next one. And, and so it becomes a pattern of success, and it's legitimate success. It's success that's rewarding and gratifying because it's not just sort of getting the work done, it's really knowing the math. And the brain loves to really know how to do things. We all love that. And I think that excitement then that they have or that the gratification that you have from knowing those skills that that moves kids forward. Absolutely. That continues to move them forward. I'm gonna double way, way back as I often do in conversations, it's just my way. I do want to say, like, if I was listening to this podcast and my prescription for a good way to approach the fall, I would have one objection, I think, or, or five or 10, because I'm a contrarian. But anyway, one objection that comes to mind is, um, well, what, what's going to happen with my scope and sequence if I'm constantly peppering in a half day a day to review precursor skills? I'm not going to have as much time to delve into the stuff that I'm supposed to teach this year. And I, I just want to kind of openly acknowledge that's true. Uh, that's reality. And I think we need to be realistic. So whether you're going to try to front load all the remediation or you're going to kind of thoughtfully and tactically mix it in, either way, you'll have less time to address this year's content and that will mean you can't address as much of this year's content, or you'll really pack it in and go so fast that it stresses kids out and they don't learn it. And I, I just want to say that that's, we're, we're at a hard reality, and we always are, right? So you do what's best for your kids. That's, that's where you always have to land. And what's best for your kids is to give them time to deeply learn quality over, I got to cover the whole quantity. And I realized then we have pressures from like possibly the system or the structures 
to do quantity over quality. And I, I feel for those people fighting that struggle, and, and I want to encourage you to fight on because that's what's best for kids. So that was one thing I wanted to address. Uh, I'm sure there are four or five other objections that would, uh, would come to people's minds as well. I was going to ask you about mixed review, which is my favorite feature, and how that, you've, you've already hit upon it several times, but I'd like for you to expand upon mixed review and how that helps our students. And how does it work, essentially, maybe? So for, for anyone who, who's listening to this podcast and you, you keep hearing me say mixed review, um, it's this feature of Get More Math where every student is constantly being asked to work on content from prior lessons. Maybe it's a lesson from yesterday, a lesson from a month ago. Get More Math is uh, thoughtfully and strategically uh, selecting specific kinds of problems for each student based on the data we have from that student's data trail all the way up to this moment. So as the student's working, we're saying, oh, okay, she's good at this now, but she wasn't so great at this other thing. Let's bring one of those onto her screen. Um, what we bring onto her screen will really depend on, on her performance. So maybe uh, yesterday she was absent and some new content got taught and we want to make sure that she works on yesterday's content. Maybe she'll see something that she's really good at. And that's because Get More Math keeps bringing back really old content that prior data suggests mastery, but we need to keep refreshing that data to ensure long-term mastery. So she might see something and go, oh, I'm, I'm great at these, and just crank it out and get it right in 10 seconds and zip, Get More Math will pull it right back off her screen. But if she has struggles with it, uh, we might be like, oh, we've, we see some slippage here. Let's give her a chance to do a few more of these just to make sure that it's back up to speed, maybe give her another one of those tomorrow to the point that we think that's short up. So the algorithm is constantly giving each student a spiraling backwards experience of prior content. That's what that's the, the heart and soul of Get More Math. That's the thing that took me uh, 10 years to make. And that's the thing that really changed the game for my students' long-term attention. It's the feature that makes me the most happy and I wish I'd had. Now, in encouraging teachers and how we're going to move forward in this, do you have advice? I, I know research is telling us just what you said, that on-grade instruction and just-in-time interventions for our students. If you were going to have to pare back a scope and sequence, would you just include critical skills? It's, uh, you, you have to put your heads together with your uh, other teachers if you have them. Um, Think about the following year and the things that the teachers those years are going to rely on being in place. Um, think about the content that is the, the most powerful, the most significant, that hooks together the most. And make tough decisions. I, I unfortunately don't have, in a broad way, some more specific way to wield the, uh, the scope and sequence scalpel. But it, it needs to be done. And if you don't do it, Oh, you know what? Oh, story. So I remember my son wanted to plant like, I don't know, some vegetable. So in the spring, he got a tray and he planted like a hundred seeds, right? Because he was going to, it was this tiny little tray and he put it in the bathroom next to the window and all the spreads, seeds sprung up and there were all these little tiny growths. And I told him like, it's not, you know, it's not going to work. <laughs> You're going to have to pull out a bunch of those. You're going to have to reduce the quantity in order to get the quality. 
And it's just a hard reality, a reality he actually did not accept. So he learned the hard way. And I feel like in education, kind of sad, but sometimes we learn the hard way over and over and over and over again. Um, if you if you elevate quantity and say, we are going to cover everything we have to, and then the kids end up with uh, not having learned a lot, but also super frustrated and stressed, it, it means we need to change what we do. So uh, I don't have the power. Uh, I can't wield the scalpel, but it, I, I encourage people to engage in that. Well, thank you so much for playing the interviewer so I could be the interviewee. Um, I enjoy both roles. It's always fun to talk about education, especially with Texans. Um, so thanks for taking a little time and kicking things around with me, Jennifer. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to hear you. Okay, everybody. Thank you for checking out our little one-off podcast. We love teachers. We love students. We love being a part of what you're doing. Uh, if there's any way we can support you, we are always standing ready.